and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who puts class in classified documents. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for that one. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, welcome back from hiatus. Thanks for everyone for sticking with us. Took a few weeks off for the holidays, but we are back and we got a lot to discuss. The Tigers have done a couple things, believe it or not. Made some moves, made some moves, you know, cause we, you know, weekend of Christmas and it's like, uh, you know, and it's like weekend of New Year's. It's like, yeah, there wasn't anything to really talk about. You and I were kind of like, you know, we could have came on and. I just don't really thought, I didn't think it would have been like really authentic to us. We would kind of been reaching for some content ideas. I was like, let's reset. You know, we're, we, we're kind of at the mercy of Scott Harris a lot of times, you know. And then once the season starts, we're at the mercy of the players and the coaches. And then a move happened. If it was any other weekend, we would have been doing a pod. But normally, as listeners know, and I want to shout out the people that tweeted at us at Turn the Corner, at Turn Corner pod at kieran underscore steckley at cody stavenhagen uh saying like hey man what's up where where y'all been you know uh makes us feel a little love so i just want to shout out everybody that did that normally when like a move goes down i ask cody like you know trade deadline you know what were, what was going on like take us take us take us there man let let, let the listeners kind of get a feel for uh the life of a beat reporter uh, this time, however, that is not required because I was, I was, I was there. I was with your boy. Your boys were driving uh, with our respective partners. We had just spent a night in Tulsa. We were going to Stillwater. We were on the Cimarron Turnpike, 412, I believe, is the state highway, and uh, just chatting it up. We had a wedding to go to on that Sunday, so that's why uh, we we didn't put together a short little pod also this was uh cody's girlfriend's first time in Stillwater, so you want you know you gotta show him you know the your old stomping grounds and all that stuff and you obviously worked a lot that day so it was one of those things where it's like let's just let's just enjoy the rest of the weekend and so anyway we're in the car it's about eh, like an hour hour 10 drive from tulsa to to Stillwater, and and the four of us are kind of joking about the pranks that we're going to pull at this wedding <laughs> All of which were successful, by the way, and 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 suddenly, Cody is just gone radio <laughs> silent. Like he's not contributing anything. He's not laughing. Like I said, I'm driving, and you're like behind me in the car, so I can't like see you. And so like I'm I'm laying down what I think are some you know some Gregory Soto fastballs, and and, and Cody's not taking them. And eventually, <laughs> eventually, your girlfriend was like, "Is everything okay?" <laughs> <laughs> I think you said something to the effect of, uh, uh, yeah, the Tigers are about to make a trade, so I will not be paying attention to anything, <laughs> and I will not be talking. <laughs> and we were like, all right. I was like, you know, I tried to ask you a couple questions just to, you know, figure out what you knew, because obviously I can't get on my phone, you know, I'm driving. And uh, and you answered them, but I was like, all right, here's the cutoff point. I'm just going to kind of let him do his thing and then see if he'll – give the information out so anyway little inside baseball that's how cody found out about the trade that's how i found out about the trade we were recovering from our hangovers driving from tulsa to stillwater and uh 
in a way it kind of worked out because you were just had to wait anyway for the like the trade happened like got released essentially the details while we were in the car so uh so yeah uh, in case you haven't heard by now it was gregory soto and cody clemens heading to the phillies for matt veering nick mayton did we ever get a confirmation um, on that i'm going with mayton nick mayton mayton nick mayton and donnie sands that's an outfielder a baseball player is how i'm going to say who nick is he plays everywhere and, and then sands is a catcher so checks a lot of bosses we'll get into the weeds a little bit more here in a second but we're a week removed from the trade you've heard from the players you've heard from scott that's what you were doing in our stillwater airbnb uh well we're trying to get ready for the wedding festivities uh so you pulled dual action credit to you but you know let the people know what are your thoughts on this deal um yeah we'll circle back to that in a second a lot of things to cover here number one speaking of feeling the love shout out to nick spillane who i ran into at eastern market over the weekend came up and introduced himself uh super nice guy looked like he was having a good time had a uh, pretty dope michigan state hat sweet uh just shout out to nick for listening for introducing himself super appreciate it nick uh yeah, I, I'm glad I wasn't driving on the turnpike. Turns out just being a passenger in the car, <laughs> although it's far from ideal, like not the worst place for a trade to go down, you know, I was able to, to hit up some sources and, and advance the story a little bit and, you know, get everything confirmed. So in a way it worked out, wasn't great timing, but got it done, you know, that's that's the glamorous life of beat writing for sure. You never know when, when uh, <laughs> someone's going to drop. The trade, um, I like the trade. I think we are at a point with the Tigers where if they're not signing uh, Carlos Correa or Aaron Judge, it's like, what are they doing? Well, uh, this move isn't going to suddenly make the Tigers contenders, but one thing I do like so far about Scott Harris's tenure, he's talked about putting one good baseball decision on top of another. You trade a... Uh, good, but not great closer, an up and down closer and basically a fringe for a utility guy in Cody Clemens. And you get some pieces, you fill your needs, you get the, the, uh, the right-handed hitting outfielder who definitely has some upside. If you haven't already looked at Matt Vierling's stat cast page, you need to go look at it because I think 97th percentile in speed, uh, uh, you know, 90 percentile throwing arm. Mm-hmm. Off the charts, exit velocities. Can this guy actually, you know, elevate the ball consistently? Can he hit at the major league level? That's to be decided a little bit, but the profile of the player is really good. The type of player that Alavila honestly didn't really acquire. Uh, Nick Maton, another, you know, this guy's had some success in the big leagues in a small sample. Did did pretty well last year's OPS plus was well over a hundred in the a short sample at the Phillies. He's your left-handed hitting infielder. Probably not as much upside as Veerling, but you know he's a good defender. There's there's room to be encouraged. This guy maybe can be an everyday regular. And then Donnie Sands. I feel like there were some people who were like, "Oh, he's the Phillies' number twenty-one prospect," and were like hype about that. And then there were some people, myself included, who were like, "Ah, oh, throw in depth catcher or whatever." You look deeper at Sands' profile. Uh, tremendous hitting record. Hit like right. 308 in AAA last year. Good walk rates. 
and knocked a little bit for his defense, but he's a really good pitch framer. So I don't think he has a great arm or a great blocker, but he's a pitch framer. I think that's what attracted Scott Harris to him. Uh, I'm not going to rule out the idea of Donnie Sands playing a lot in the big leagues this next year. I think he actually helps your, your catching situation quite a bit, gives you not just depth, but uh, a catcher with a, a profile that it is hard not to like. So you get all that, and what did you really lose? Soto, who, number one, was a very tradable asset to begin with, and probably a little overvalued and did some good things for the Tigers, but he, he's going to be better off elsewhere. I think it's, not to be mean, I think it's great that the Tigers got Cody Clemens off the 40-man roster. You can clear that space for a player with a little more upside, like Nick mm-hmm. Maton. I was never a big Cody Clemens believer. Um... Kind of funny when, you know, remember when Cody Clemens was going to be the savior last summer, according to some in the fan base. I think Scotty Boy Harris viewed Cody Clemens a lot like probably you and I did, which is like, what's this guy get us? Like, let's get him out of here, you know? So, yeah, I think it's a pretty good trade. I think it's a good trade for the Phillies, too. Now they have a dope, a dope bullpen, like a yeah. classic, makes sense for two different teams in two different, very different situations. Yeah, um, I think once the pieces were put out there and, you know, we're still in the car at this point, and I think that what I asked you verbatim was, is this a move that Al Avila makes? And it was a pretty quick no. Zero. That's not the kind of move that he makes. It's the opposite uh, of an Al Avila move. Yes. And... You know, we, we, we talked a lot this offseason with, uh, you know, Victor Reyes no longer being around, the Castro brothers no longer being around, and, and Candelario no longer being around. We talked about a lot of this, can we clear out of the hopeful guys, the guys that you hope could, you know, turn turn a corner or at least, you know, figure out what they actually are? Like, the level up of that is kind of Gregory Soto. Because, yes, he is a successful closer in the major leagues. Uh, 30, 60 saves, whatever, in two seasons, two time, back-to-back all-star. All the respect in the world. Fun to watch, you know, with anyone that throws that hard, you know. But we still were unsure. It's like, all right, if this team ever did get to postseason contention, you're in game five, and you're up by one, and there's a runner on second. How how confident are you that Soto's going to get this guy? Right. And the answer was kind of, eh. you know, I could see it. I could also not see it. And I think in a way this is just another, like I said, it's like a level up of like kind of moving on from someone that we're trying to figure out if there's somebody more. And, and Cody Clemens is obviously another one of those guys where it's like, I just don't want to go through that process of trying to figure that out. And so you bring in fresh blood, you check all these, you know, like I said, give Scott Harris credit. He is checking, he is saying he's going to do things, and then he does it, you know, in a variety of ways in terms of this is the kind of profile guy. I want a left-handed infielder, need a right-handed bat. I mean, no one would fault to him. He's like, hey, look, the market's just not there right now. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, we, you can't get everything. I mean, who, who we'll see with the quality of player over time. But he's getting basically everything that he desires, uh, you know, to a certain point, obviously. 
And the more I read about it, the more I, I like it. I like getting good athletes on the team. I like getting some catchers that have like a catcher that has a nice hitting profile, but also a good defensive skill, um, high end defensive skill. And you got rid of the Castros. Who's your utility guy? I know we just talked about uh, Maton potentially, you know, sliding in at the five spot there, but at worst, he's a guy that's going to move around. Right. And so like that, you know, you're filling needs right there. It's not sexy. I'm not, you know, we're not, gonna see this move and be like all right there's your 90 win detroit tigers at 2023 right there but stacking good baseball moves and i'm also when it comes to beerling uh i'm very excited about having a guy that's fast and i mean that with his throwing arm with his speed and with his bat i mean i i think sometimes we don't talk about the athlete of a baseball player as much as i think we should and here's a guy who's a great athlete who's got metrics that you like and <laughs> some stuff that needs to, you know, do better. So I can I can promise you AJ Hinch is excited to have some some ball players, you know, yeah. some guys with some some tools, some athletic abilities. Um got a lot of thoughts going through my head. One, I'm going to I'm going to take a little credit for this trade, all right? I think I told you last week like you know, coming off the new year, I think I got to write something like not to criticize Harris or the Tigers, but to like kind of start the conversation. Like, are they actually doing anything? So they had these needs, they had these holes, they had not filled them. They were not successful. Uh, didn't seem like they were very active in free agency. I know they talked to a couple guys like Adam Frazier and I think Will Myers and they didn't sign them. And it was getting, I know the fans were antsy, and even from my standpoint, it was getting a little bit like, okay, what's, you know, I hadn't heard much internally or externally. It was like, all right, what's, what's, what's going on? Are they actually doing anything? And so I wrote that, like, the headline was like, do the Tigers actually have a plan in the story? Uh, hopefully it wasn't, like, necessarily critical. I was just trying to, like, we need to raise this discussion. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. Well, shout out to our guy Dave Dombrowski, friend of the pod, who the pod. revealed as uh, that Scott reached out to him that Thursday, a couple days after that story ran. <laughs> uh, so, but, so maybe a little pressure on Scott, and he guess what? Got is Scott made some moves, filled his his holes. I'm sure he, you know, I, I I say this tongue tongue in cheek, I or do I? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure Scott uh, read that and was like, ah, oh, maybe it motivated him a little bit, you know? Um, yeah. Well, yeah, who knows? Could be. Yeah, and I and I don't I don't chance. I don't want to oversell this deal, but like Veerling is really interesting. And again, we we compare. I guess if you're Scott, it's actually a good thing that you're always going to be compared to Alavila <laughs> because like can kind of only go up from there. Uh, but one thing, let me see if I can connect this like thought. One thing I've heard AJ Hinch talk about a lot is when he worked for for Jeff Luno. He's like, you know, no matter what you think about Jeff, he's he's a smart guy. And I've heard AJ mention that Jeff always talked in like data points. So if they were they were um if Jeff was talking to scouts, if they were talking about promoting a player, he'd be like, Okay, show me, like prove it to me, like give me some numbers. And be like, This is this is the guy's, you know, attack angle. This is the guy's average exit velocity. If you think a guy is gonna be successful, show me data that suggests he is going to be successful and the Astros based a lot of their decision making on stuff like that. Matt Vierling is a prime example. Really all the guys acquired in this trade 
seems to me like Scott Harris having a little bit of that mentality, which is these guys haven't had a ton of success at the major league level yet, but there are data points to suggest that they can be or will be successful. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, but the the overall process and profile of the guys acquired in this trade just shows a level of thinking that was previously lacking in the Tigers organization. Again, not promising this is going to come to fruition, but to transition to another topic, even friend of the pod, Keith Law, liked this deal for the Tigers. He did like this deal, and I... It, it's one of those things with our uh, unofficial uh, kind of nudging of, of Keith Law on this podcast is, you know, oh, he's always, he always hates the Tigers or whatever. That's just a joke. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'm about to read a story by Keith Law that says Tigers made a good move. I'm going to read this. Let's see. What, what? First sentence, the Tigers are a bad major league team right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Facts. <laughs> And, and this is not a criticism. I just thought it was really funny. It, it kind of, and, and the, that's the only part of the sentence. The rest of it is, and they did what bad teams should do, which is if you have an asset, you trade it for younger pieces that, you know, you can develop and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the Phillies are a good team and they did what a good team does is they get rid of players that don't project in the immediate to like be in their rotation because their, their lineup's already full essentially. So you acquire you know, a player like Soto that can help kind of fill out the rest of your roster. So that was the point. And he does have, he has a lot of good things to say about these prospects. So we got to, you know, we're a fair podcast, are we not? We got to, you know, we kind of jive a little bit. And he, yeah, quick interjection, Keith, Keith Law, suddenly back in, in my top 100, guy reached out to me (laughs) for kind of like the first time and was like, Hey, should I write something on this? And I was like, yeah, I, I think people would, um, be curious for your take on the trade. I was curious for Keith's take on the trade and it was, <laughs> it was pro tigers. And, uh, I'll share You know, he's like, I really like Veerling, blah, blah, blah. I gave his take on Soto. And then Keith sent me and Cody Clemens kind of sucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which poor Cody, but I was like, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and that's another thing too. There's a, the, 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 the Cody Clemens thing, Another thing that we said, like, right when the trade happened and we're kind of processing it, is this was a really shrewd part of the deal. Uh, I would like to know how that was, like, put in, and and was there, like, some some nervousness on Scott's part? It's like, oh, you know, I'm going to do this trade either way, but it'd be, you know, kind of nice if, you know, we could put Cody in there, too. And uh, and it worked out, and it worked out, and it and it kind of clears out another Avila era roadblock for yeah. other players in the system. I love all the underlying factors at work here. One of the things about Keith Law's always digging the Tigers is that it's it's pretty well known in the industry that Keith Law and former assistant GM David Chad uh, have have some some history that dates back to like Rick Porcello and like Mm -hmm. basically they don't like each other. Well, David Chad is now a special (laughs) assignment scout for the Philadelphia Phillies. And based on Dave Dombrowski's uh, press conference, 
David Chad put in a good word for Cody Clements. Because that, that was one of my thoughts. Like, do the Phillies actually see value in, in Cody Clemens? You know, Soto makes a ton of sense. Their bullpen is dominant, two hard-throwing left-handers now. I was like, do they really, like, was this just a throw-in? Like, did they, did they actually want Clemens? According to Dave Dombrowski, David Chad was like, yeah, yeah, put in a, a re- <laughs> review for Cody Clemens. So uh, the, somehow this all ties together, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Another example of a baseball circle being rather small, uh, you know, two former Tigers employees uh, with uh, make a trade for with their former team. And, uh, and, and also going back to the Harris thing, the change of philosophy, if you were unsatisfied with how the Alavila era went, which it's impossible not to be, a change of philosophy ought to be welcomed, right? And... To me, this is another signal of something that you and I had talked about long before Scott Harris was even remotely uh, on Detroit's radar is, you know, pitchers versus hitters. And pretty much any time you're able to, like, trade a pitcher for valuable assets that are everyday players, like, more or less, as long as, you know, the value, you know, matches up, more or less, I'm always going to be in favor of that. And I saw some people on Twitter. There was a wide range of Twitter opinions as uh, as the trade was first announced. Uh, my favorite thing was, which, by the way, shout out to uh, your girlfriend for reading a lot of them uh, while we were in the car. <laughs> <laughs> She's very invested, too, in, was, in this process. She was, she was giving the full review, just reading people's tweets. It was, it was kind of <laughs> So... One of them was, oh, man, we're going to suck this year. We just trade away our closer. And I'm like, dude, that's not going to – Gregory Soto not being on this team is not the reason the Tigers could potentially right. likely will suck. Like, they sucked last year, and he was on the team. So – A quick, it, you know, uh, like, just team-building philosophy. Your closer – I believe that relief pitchers are inherently replaceable. And mm-hmm. if you can trade a relief pitcher for some position players, that is, I think, almost always a positive thing. Um, I also think losing your closer doesn't really matter unless your team's going to be good. You got to have the lead for your closer to enter the game and it matter or be tied, you know, in the ninth. And realistically, Tigers probably aren't going to be in that spot. It's on this next year. That's still the truth, despite all these uh, nice positive things we're saying. But is another reason why, like, losing Gregory Soto is fine. Good pitcher. It's going to be great for the Phillies. Throw him in a seventh or eighth inning role. If I'm in the NL East, I'm not. I'm not happy about seeing Gregory Soto. But like, Tigers aren't losing that much. Right. Well, here's what Keith Law said, and you can read his whole story on the Athletic if you're a subscriber. Soto has made two All-Star teams as a Tiger, probably because he has been their closer. He had 30 saves in 2022. Which makes him a guy who had 30 saves and nothing more because saves are about as useless a measure of pitcher as you can find. <laughs> Boom. Look at Keith. Just l- He put that weight. That's what I was trying to say. I just couldn't phrase it as, as, as bluntly as that. That's awesome. That's I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, there's also some other statistics that weren't that encouraging. The only thing I, I guess I would say if we're, 
you know, I could make the argument that uh, to Scott Harris if I were like talking with him would be, could the argument not be made that maybe it was better to keep him around, wait till trade deadline, uh, and. And you're shaking your head, so you don't really, you don't really, you don't really see the point in that. Scott kind of mentioned this, and he was like, "You know, that's that's even more of a risk because performance isn't always, you know, predictable." And then he was like, "There's no indictment of Gregory Soto, blah blah blah." Well, it kind of is because some of the under, underlying data, like not even really that underlying, like the fact Gregory Soto's slider disappeared last year, suggests. Although I, I do think Soto will do well in Philadelphia. There is certainly a chance that Soto does not pitch well and continues to not miss bats and not strike out and that his stock drops. I'm not saying that will or won't happen. I don't know. But that chance, based on data, uh, is there. And so I think Scott felt as though he liked the the value in return for Soto here and holding on to him longer. There was like a 20% chance that he pitches well and a contender's willing to part with a little more at the trade deadline. And there was a bigger chance that his stock drops. He's not pitching well. You can't move him in for anything better at the deadline. You're not going to get three pieces in return or he could get hurt, you know, there, there's so many scenarios yeah. there. So if you like the deal, I think it is foolish to be like, well, what if, you know, it's it, either you like your return or you don't. And if you're satisfied with the return, I think you make the move. That's how you stop. That's how you stack one good baseball move on top of another. Yeah. Alavila and- very guilty of being like, <laughs> well, what if, what if we holding on yeah. to guys too long, not maximizing yeah. value when it was there. True, and by the way, I just also love this sentence from Keith. The pitch StatCast categorizes as a sinker isn't a great one. He just was not trying to fluff anything. Like he was just, <laughs> he was just going boom, 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 boom. I got to shout out Keith. Well, that's the, one. The I mean, stuff. I I think sort of sinker. It's not like a true like sinker, but that's. But again, I, I just I, also I, love I, the sense. A thing coming in category. at a hundred with some movement. Like I think it's pretty good pitch actually. You know, another thing, too, another thing to kind of add to why you would just go ahead and make the move, like, the other, the return, not even the Soto part, the return, is, like, if you like these guys, and I'm under the impression that any player that Scott Harris acquires, I don't think the word reluctant will ever be attached. Although he reluctantly took on Joe Smith, you know, whatever. I I believe that Scott Harris has some level of conviction, you know, it's going to fluctuate, but some level of conviction about every player that he targets and wants to bring into the organization. So if you have that level of conviction, it makes more, and especially when you're spending a lot of got to figure it out with uh, with the upcoming season, why not bring them into your system sooner? Why not get them involved yeah. in your revamped, you know, sports science departments, performance science departments, and and your new hitting coaches and and AJ Hinch and you know inflicting his wisdom, you know why not do that? So so to me that also plays a part. So I I, I was just kind of floating it out there to see you know for the sake of discussion. But I think if you like the move, why wait? You know, uh, so that's just my philosophy. the The last thing I think I'll say about this trade is who will be the Tigers All Star this year. Because if you look at it, 
you know, we'll take out Cabrera because it was like an honorary all-star, you know, appearance or yeah. whatever. Um, but Soto, so going from 2022 backward. Soto, Soto, Shane Green, Joe Jimenez. That goes back to 2018. That's four closers in a row, which, as Keith Law said, he was an all-star because he was the Tigers' closer. And the last position player to, again, we're taking out Cabrera from last year, the last position player to be an all-star was Justin Upton in 2017. So... And that is is in the year after that, or excuse me, the year before that, 2016 was Cabrera's last reign as you know being a perennial All Star. So, who's gonna be the All Star this year, Cody? I mean, that's you know, it's kind of a funny way to kind of wrap up the trade talk, but it is a real thing because somebody does have to come from the Tigers and represent the American League. You got any early? You got early calls on that? Uh. I guess Alex Lang is the new favorite, right? <laughs> You're a closer. If we're not counting Miguel, I mean, it could easily just be an honorary selection for Miguel and count that as the Tigers all-star. If there's going to be another guy, I think my money right now would be on Alex Lang. Now, there's a chance, you know, if one of your starters has a very good first half, Eduardo, even Matthew Boyd's known for starting off the season well. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Um... Javi Baez wouldn't totally rule it out, you know. If the guy still name, yeah. The guy comes correct this year, but if I had to pick one player, it's gonna be Alex Lang, probably the guy who's gonna be pitching the ninth inning. I do, I think we're gonna to get to go through that AJ Hinch not using the word closer again <laughs> as a result of this trade. Uh, so that'll be that'll be a ton of fun, and we can give him a hard time for that. I'm going Alex Lang as the favorite to be the Tigers All Star. You know. This is probably going to be wishful. Riley Green, though. Riley Green. Riley Green. That'd be the most fun, Maybe. obviously. Yeah. I think Baez would. I, I don't think Baez is a bad call. Like, uh, it could happen. If he, I'm, I'm getting really tired of trying to be like, well, this guy finished the season like this, and you know, let's see if that starts open yeah. in April. But if, 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 if yeah. But just in terms of his profile, like this was about as bad a year, you know, as it could have been, and if he. Make some plays in the field, has some decent numbers. Now, I just want to rule it out. It'd be like a nice like bet to make. Like he'd be a little bit down the list, and you know, a little decent value there would kind of be my main point. But obviously, the Riley Green thing would be amazing. That would obvious. That would be by far the best thing for the organization is if Riley Green in his first full year um, gets named an All Star, and by that time he basically would have only played one season by the time the All Star. Uh, game comes around so that would be great to make the all-star game as an outfielder in the american league you got to be pretty good so even if riley has a very good year i'd say the odds on that are i mean you you just got to be pretty elite and uh so if he makes the all-star game that means he's really killing it you know which i think riley green is going to be an all-star player um this year might be a little soon though. so yeah i mean it would be uh awesome if Riley Green became an all-star and something that might help him out. Something that was definitely done with him in mind. At long last, we talked about the changeover, Detroit Tigers, the new era, turns of you know, moves that are being made by the front office. Now it's new again. You're gonna have a different looking outfield 
uh, in Comerica Park, the most notable aspects of it is that the center field, the vaunted 420, we'll get into that in a second, the vaunted 420 uh, outfield center straight out is coming in about 10 feet, and the walls are being brought down a little bit, and I thought, you know, because I always try to come up with original thoughts, you know, for this podcast. And I think I have a nice little original idea. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to help Riley Green in multiple ways because this, 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 this. And then Scott Harris just comes out and says it, and it's no longer an original thought. Uh, so shout out Scott for saying, like, yeah, these were made with, you know, Riley in mind or whatever. <laughs> so I appreciate that. But uh, the long-awaited outfield move, uh, I hope everybody feels good about it because this is something that was desired. I don't really care about the 420 part as much as the safety mechanisms that are going to be put in place to prevent injuries for guys that bang into walls. That's the number one thing that's uh, that I'm happy about. But uh, what do you think? What do you think of this new new look outfield that the Comerica is going to be sporting? I mean, would life be different for your boy Derek Hill if this <laughs> new padding had been in place? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I like the change and I was never a big, like Comerica has to be altered. We've talked about it before. It, it was a big ballpark, but it's also not as bad for hitters, of course, as is kind of perceived, not a great ballpark for home runs actually, you know, among the, the very worst in the league. Uh, so if you're going to change it, I like what they did. I like that it was a subtle change as Scott said multiple times, doesn't change the, the character of the park, doesn't change the profile of the park, still, depending on your definition of a pitcher's park, you know, still a large ballpark, but a little more reasonable, from 420 to 410, uh, even 7 feet walls all the way around, that, you know, weird jut out in, out in right center where the wall is raised, will basically, you know, that won't be there anymore, I think hitters will enjoy that, uh, the thing with the hitters' psyches is real. I don't love when hitters use that as more or less an excuse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if this helps your your guys feel a little more confident when they're at the plate, that's good. Uh, but it's not a massive change. I think its effects will be rather small. Um, but, you know, if I were a hitter and I hit the ball 420 feet and it's an out, I'd be pretty pissed. Uh now, if I hit the ball 409 feet and it doesn't go out, I'd, I'd still be pissed. But, <laughs> you know, I think it's a little mo- makes the park a little more reasonable. So, sure. you know, if you're going to change something, I like that it was a subtle change. Yeah, so we're going to credit Juan Gonzalez for the bullpens in left field. Mm-hmm. And I think we just have to credit Riley Green uh, for, for these changes. I mean, they went out and said it. You know, this is done with Riley Green in mind as a fielder and as a hitter. Yeah. And specifically, too, the uh, making it easier to rob home runs. I'm not. I'm not fully buy, like. I guess a little bit. It's not like we're gonna see like just home run robs left and right. Still a very difficult play to make. I guess maybe we'll see a little more of that. I don't. I I didn't love how they put that as like one of the main selling points oh, for the wall. It's one of those things where like reaching but the factors at play now are a little easier you know like there's still it's still a random event but you know not having to scale up that high um is a factor as well and then it gives you more depth to you know reach over or whatever but yeah whatever 
Opponents can rob home runs too. So, well, yeah, and that's Byron what... Buxton grabs a Riley <laughs> Riley Green home run ball out of the air. Someone would be like, "Oh, if they would have left the wall at eight and a half feet." You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's another thing too. Like, I thought it was very. I was just impressed that Scott, like, Scott, every now and then when he wants to, he just puts stuff out there, and it's like it's really interesting. It, and and then he's very smart too, so he knows that people like us are going to be talking about it. And the smart baseball fans out there, of which there are many, uh, are gonna like take with it and run. And the aspect, like you said, of kind of keeping the ballpark's character, you know, the same still, and then knowing that he's also building a baseball team like with the kind of ballpark you have in mind also is important too and next go around with free agency or whenever they want to try to make some splash free agency moves which i have i think would probably be an off season or two away this is gonna be another selling point it's like they're gonna have some data that's gonna suggest it's like hey i know you've had this many numbers here before but if you look at you know what the new dimensions are then you know blah 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 like it's going to be a, a selling point as well and even for pitchers be like oh it's still going to be okay for you i wish they just would have shared the numbers of you know the the model is sure projections they ran for like how will this increase home run rates and run scoring i'm pretty sure the orioles did that last year when they raised they did uh, they did it they did the that. yard so yeah which is very Mike Elias and, and Sigmet all on brands i wish the tigers would have done that because it was referenced but they didn't actually share the numbers you know, another thing of note here is that when we were coming up with a name for this podcast, I threw around a lot of things that kind of had 420 in it because... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I we didn't do that. Because I was like, oh, 420 to center might be like a decent podcast name. You can have like the outfield wall, you know, like we, we could play with that. So, yeah, really glad I didn't do that. 420, yeah. bro. And I was like, maybe we get the weed crowd to just <laughs> accidentally like download our pro- <laughs> podcast. That would have been cool. But... Uh, yeah, I joke all the time about how we don't really know how to identify pitches because, yeah, like I, like I said, uh, Keith Law earlier, it's like StatCast calls the pitch a sinker, you know? <laughs> and if you listen to Dan Dickerson on the radio, he award-winning Dan Dickerson. Shout out Dan for winning Sportscaster of the Year in Michigan. Well-deserved honor there, of course. We actually don't even know how to measure, apparently, in baseball, because now we use terms like laser measurement, and it turns out the wall was 422 feet uh, to center, and then they had to change the the labeling of, was it to left field, down the line, yeah. uh, in a couple feet or whatever, because uh, it, that turned out not to be accurate. So we don't even know how to measure. Here's... That, that one has me befuddled. In the year 2023, we cannot measure distance <laughs> accurately. Like, why? And I know that was a, a thing at the old Tiger Stadium. In, in the year 2000, when Camarga opened, they couldn't just, like... Measure. <laughs> get a tape measure. Like, like I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't understand. They'd be that. off by two feet, though. Like, yeah. that's not marginal. It's, yeah, like, that's <laughs> kind of a big... I don't understand how you mess that up. Like... Well, he... Here, here's I don't a, know. I don't work in here, that field. Here's right. a fun fact. So uh, my wife and I went to Boston uh, in October, and we did a tour of Fenway Park. And Fenway Park, obviously the most unique ballpark, you know, man ever conceived probably. There might be some other ones, but in terms of became major ballparks, very unique ballpark. No, not breaking news there. So down the right field line, that little corner 
it's listed at 302 feet. It's not 302 feet. It's actually like 298, 297. But when they uh, were kind of configuring the park, there was like an American League rule that like you couldn't have any foul line and less than 300 feet. So they just slapped 302 on it and called it good. <laughs> I actually didn't know that, and that's amazing. <laughs> so maybe... Maybe when they make America, they're like, oh, uh, it's actually 422 sounds too deep. We'll yeah, so we got to put 420, and it's like, hush, hush on that. that <laughs> if they came out with that, I think I would actually respect it a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> but also, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Scott Harris had you guys out in the field, like, you know, like, explaining it or whatever. What was what was that like? It's they didn't have to oh, do it was, that. It was cool. I, no, they they didn't. He easily could have just hopped on Zoom again and be like, yeah, we're bringing the walls. It was cool. I think uh, – I don't know why they did it. I thought it was cool. I, I appreciated it. Scott uh, took us around the, the warning track and, you know, showed us uh, kind of the off-the-record portion. Not that anything, like, juicy was said, but just like it was casual, you know, pointed out uh, a couple intricacies of what's going on and um, – some other changes that are in the works. Like I didn't even put this in the article, but they're messing with the, uh, the sight lines and the left field bullpen are going to be changed so that relief pitchers can see the game more clearly, uh, which is kind of a nice touch. Little things like that just shared some tidbits and got to kind of see it and where they had it roped off to where the new walls will be. So got to actually like visualize it and, and see it up close, which was which was a nice touch that they certainly do not have to do. Yeah, and he said this, it was in your story, that you know these changes weren't 100% his doing when he got... Yeah, I was, I was interested in that. Because um, obviously Scott was getting asked about that literally from his first day on the job. Uh, I was like, does, did he just not want to take like credit? Did he not want to make the story like, Scott Harris changes Comerica Park, or... I mean, I know this had been on the table seriously up at the ownership level for more than a year, but uh, from the outside, it sure seems like Scott Scott pushed this thing through, um, and AJ, I'm sure too. But uh, the timing is curious. Like, how much of a role did Scott actually play in getting this done? I I'm not sure. We know he did not really want to take and the, the intricacies for it. of like what he would have wanted, or you know, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, one of those things that if we ever could get the full story, I would be very intrigued by that. Yeah. And and so yeah, I mean, it's fun. You know, it gets the team in the news a little bit. Like, and it also like if you're worried. I mean, not that this is gonna like alleviate any concerns, but if you're worried about ownership not doing anything, at least this is something. Uh, and I'm always gonna like making these kind of changes with the talent you have in mind. I know back in, uh, in the infancy of Tiger Stadium, they would water the grass a lot more by the baseline so that Ty Cobb's bunts uh, would not roll out. Uh, like Cobb, they called yeah. it. So, you know, those kind of things uh, happen. And obviously, you know, with the Yankees, they always love their left-handed hitters, you know, with that new Yankee Stadium. So... So yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a good touch. I'll be very interested to see how it looks. Like, does it? You know, obviously there are professionals that are doing this. It's gonna look fine. But how is you know when you go there for the first time post change? Like, how how yeah, is the aesthetic gonna feel? You know what I mean? And yeah. and be very interested 
to see how many balls go out that went up before and and or home runs are robbed like we just you know mentioned earlier or how pitcher's gonna feel is this gonna give a jolt to the riley greens of the world you know uh does robbie grossman want to come back no i'm just kidding uh so <laughs> we also did jokes speaking of uh former outfielders we did joke <laughs> when it was like oh soto to the phillies i was like are they gonna get castellanos back <laughs> <laughs> That would have been amazing. It didn't end up being the case. That would have been awesome. That would have, that would have been very, very fun. But, but yeah, so very, very interesting to see. And also, you know, Riley Green, not slow, not fast. Now he has less ground to cover in uh, in the outfield. So that's, you know. Fun question that I meant to mention earlier, though. Matt Vierling has that elite speed. Uh, yeah. Grades out in the past not terrific in center i haven't watched him enough i don't know if he gets bad jumps or what but like is there a chance matt veerling ends up playing center and riley goes to left in which case you know this whole conversation is, <laughs> is like mute i i don't know i think something to keep an eye on well i i did think i was like how many triples are gonna be uh taken away you know because yeah. i i think a triple is one of the i mean this is a dumb thing it's not actually something you would build your team around but i think the triple is like one of the more fun baseball plays you know to see a guy rounding second you know it's almost always some sort of play at third you know yeah. uh so i would like for that to still be an aspect of comerica but you know if it's if it's not i'm not gonna you know lose sleep about it so yeah i think it'll be i think it'll be very intriguing to see and Anything you can do, like I said, to help out Riley, help out Spencer, who needs a little bit more help than that, but couldn't hurt. We'll have, we'll have plenty of time to talk about Spencer Torkelson and the pressure on him this year uh, and later podcasts. But I, I kind of wanted to to wrap up with this. Uh, I began the podcast saying, like, oh, I know how you found out about the Soto trade, and now I'm going to end the podcast by saying, how the hell did you get this story? So, for the love of the game, for me specifically, is a cherished movie. For circumstances I would say are relatively unique unique to me. Uh, obviously, grew up here in the Dallas area. I'm not surrounded by Lion stuff, Piston stuff, Red Wing stuff, Michigan State where my dad went. Uh, you know, Tiger stuff. I'm not, it, it's just obviously not a thing here. So, going around, like, Walmart or whatever, like, my local Walmart, you know, going grocery shopping with my parents or whatever, I would see this movie, and I see that it's a guy in a Tigers uniform, and I always, like, it always, like, you know, obviously, like, struck a chord with me, like, oh, so, like, my favorite baseball team that I don't really see, obviously, I, you know, I know they're not the Yankees, they're not, like, that marquee or whatever, you know, they made a movie of the guy who plays for the Tigers, you know, and then eventually I, you know, I saw it, and obviously it's, a, you know, it's an amazing story, and it's a really fun movie to watch. I think it's a movie that threads the needle that if you love baseball, you like it, and if you don't love baseball, you just like human interest stories, you like it. Uh, Vince Scully, you know, doing uh, doing the broadcasting and... Uh, in Yankee Stadium, I mean, it checks a lot of boxes. Of, 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 and of course, again, the human interest aspect of it as well. I knew there was a book. I never read it. I'd never seen it. I didn't know anything. I just knew that it existed. And 
you uncovered something way deeper than that. So I don't want to step on any any uh, any of your toes with your story. Obviously, everybody can read on the athletic. But how did you come across this just layered, amazing story that this movie this movie that you know men means a lot to me and in certain ways almost never really even existed. Nor did the book. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I think like probably a lot of my better stories. Uh... Don't have a great explanation for how I came across it. Too much time on my hands in the off season, I guess. <laughs> Just you know, I think since I've covered the Tigers, I've it's always been in the back of my mind. Like, is there something I can write about for love of the game? Can I like get a Q and A with Costner or something? And it, mm. you know, I was looking for something to write, and that idea kind of resurfaced in my head. And I was literally just on Wikipedia and looking at you know reading about it. I guess just kind of looking for some fun fact, maybe. You know, could there be some kind of story? And it's like, oh, this is based on a book. And I think I knew, I had at least heard that before, but I didn't know anything about the book. And so then I clicked the, you know, Wikipedia link for the book, uh, which I had just never done before for some reason. And then learned a little bit about the history of the book, which is that it was published posthumously. You know, the author, Michael Shara, had uh, died and the book, was published later and i was like that's really interesting i like and you know his son had it published his son is now an author jeff uh jeff has a website i just shot jeff an email like hey this is kind of interesting like is there is there any more to this story that's you know never been told before and some have been like mentioned at the time the movie was released but i couldn't find anything that really went in depth on on any of this at least as it relates to for love of the game and jeff got right back and i just hopped on the phone with him and you know sure enough the story is uh jeff was estranged from his father michael for the final 15 years of michael's life michael was a um, very talented writer wrote a book called the killer angels about the civil war that won the pulitzer prize in 1975 terrific novel you know it's taught it in, in military history courses it's it's a great book and never really achieved any other success in his career. He was kind of this eccentric, uh, disgruntled writer type. And he wrote a few more things. He wrote a lot of short stories, but he, none of his books ever sold even killer angels at the time, despite winning a Pulitzer prize did not sell well. Uh, cause it was released on the heels of the Vietnam war. You know, people mm-hmm. weren't let's go read a, a war book. Right. Um, and, Long story short, you know, Michael dies at, I think, 59. He had a heart attack. He had not been in good health uh, for, for a long time. He had a, a brain injury. He suffered before that. And so they're going through his stuff, you know, and Jeff's sorting through the papers, and he, he finds the story's a little dramatized that he, like, found this lost manuscript. They knew about it. They knew their dad had worked on this baseball book. Uh, but Jeff, again, he hadn't talked to his dad for 15 years, so he wasn't really up on it. He comes across the manuscript. He's like, oh, I, I forgot about this. And then he reads it, and he's like, this is this is pretty good, you know. Do, could we get this published? And Michael Scherer's stock had kind of, you know, I don't know if it's right to say his stock went up after he died, but his name was kind of back out in the press. Pulitzer mm-hmm. Prize winning author dies. Uh, they took it to some agents, and... Michael had shopped this book around when he was alive and no one wanted it. No one would publish it. It was too short, whatever. Well, after his death, they got it published like that. 
um, which is which is pretty crazy. And shortly thereafter, it was you know its film rights were picked up, and it took a while for the movie to actually get done, but it got done. Uh, now the great part about the story is Killer Angels. There was also a movie um, based on that book that came out in 1993. It's called Gettysburg. It is long. It's one of the last movies to feature an intermission. Like literally yeah. in theaters, there's an intermission. My, my dad had the two cassette tapes of it. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, Not cassette, VHS. So. Yeah, VHS. Uh, but anyway, so you know, this movie comes out and does pretty well in theaters, and that's actually when Killer Angels became a number one bestseller. It was in 1993 after Michael Shard's death, too. Uh, but it does well, and Ron Maxwell, the director, and Ted Turner, who owned the you know the studio, were like, "We want to make another one of these, like another Civil War movie. Like, what about a, a something about the early days of the Civil War and then the late days of the Civil War? But we really want to base it on a book like Killer Angels. That's that's well researched and it's historically accurate, and the legwork has kind of already been done, <laughs> you know. And and so they went to Jeff and his sister Lila, and they're like, you know, and so Michael taught writing at Florida State. Jeff started by like, I think he got in contact with some of Michael's old students. Like, is there someone who could write this? And he starts thinking about it, and he thinks more, and he's like, what if, what if I wrote it? Jeff at the time was not a writer. He dealt coins and precious metals in Florida. Uh, he said, I'd never written a thing in my life. So oddly enough, this guy who was estranged from his father uh, basically took on his father's mantle of writing historical fiction. He wrote uh, what amounts to a prequel to uh, Killer Angels called Gods and Generals, and that was turned into a film. Uh, there was supposed to be a sequel done, too, about like, and he wrote the book. It was never made into a movie because they really messed up the Gods and Generals movie. It's terrible. Uh, the book I haven't read, but I believe is actually very well done. That was his first novel. Uh, Jeff's now written 19 novels. He is a writer. Oh he has gosh. carried on his family's legacy in a way he certainly never thought he would. And so I wrote a story about all of that with with more detail and goes into the the emotion, obviously, some of the, the good and bad and the healing that, that also happened in Jeff's life throughout this whole process. Yeah, I mean, anyone who is familiar with the process of making movies knows that like there's like an old joke it's like it's a miracle that anything is ever made because it, there's and there's another old joke is that like pitch me a story idea and i guarantee you i've heard it before like these executives or whatever and and so but now those challenges just makes ten thousand different superhero movies and calls it good <laughs> anyway <laughs> Ain't going away either. Uh, just uh, saw Jonathan Majors promoting the NFL playoffs to promote Ant-Man and Wasp or whatever. So here we go. Uh, so that is a built-up challenge in and of itself. And then, you know, you talk about this guy, like, obviously his work. And he's not even alive to see it or help out or, you know, contribute in any way. And and so, yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. Obviously, I'm always a sucker for anything that has to do with fathers and sons and just the randomness of life. Uh, you know, it always it always appeals to me. So I thought it was very well done. I thought it was very well done. And a good there's awesome so great, story. Yeah, and there's so many great nuggets. One is that um, in the book, which I recommend everyone go buy off Jeff Shara's website, it's very... 
I read it. I thought it was really good. It does have this Hemingway, like, staccato writing style, and it's a quick, easy read. You can knock it out in a day or two. It's like 140 pages. Um, and I think it's better than the movie, also. I like the movie. It's it, it's like a top three baseball movie for me just because of the premise of it is mm-hmm. kind of ingenious. Uh, but the movie is, like, really cheesy and... My biggest gripe at the movie is that they make Lakeland look like it's on the water in Florida, uh, which is not Lakeland. <laughs> um, I don't know. Where not? I was... It's Lakeland, yeah. you know. Like... Right, right. I don't know where I was going with any of that. Uh... Oh, one of the nuggets: the book. The guy doesn't play for the Tigers. Billy Chapel is on a team, a fictional team called the Hawks. And so, as I'm researching this story, one of the things I wanted to answer is like, how did how did it become the Tigers? Like. I asked Jeff, and he's like, I don't really know. I think they just wanted a team that was, like, bad. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> what he said. Um, well, it's it's made by Sam Raimi, who I also didn't realize. Sam Raimi is from Royal Oak. I uh, grew up a Tigers fan. Not uh, as in the limelight as, like, uh, Eminem or, like, Tom Selleck or... J.K. Uh, Simmons. Yeah, J.K. Simmons. But Sam Raimi needs to come hang out at Comerica Park a little bit. Um Successful director, and so that is why it was the Tigers, just Sam Raimi's favorite favorite baseball team. Yeah, well, they need more uh, power brokers with Detroit ties to do more for the love of the game types instead of <laughs> you know kind of recycling through the same teams over and over. Uh, all right, well, let's wrap up here, Cody. A, a couple minutes on uh, you and your fellow Detroit beat writers did a little. Uh, Was this a fourth one? Is this the fourth rebuild? Um, I, th- I think. Too long. Yeah, it's, it's an annual <laughs> tradition now. Annual tradition. So Colton Pouncey covers the Lions. Max Boltman covers the Red Wings. And James L. Edwards the third covers the Pistons. And uh, I don't know if anybody is aware of this, but it's not been a whole lot of winning going on in Detroit sports. Although, shout out to the Lions for having a winning record. And uh, Colton getting uh, a really fun season to cover, his first time on the NFL beat. <laughs> so, you know, good for him. But, you know, last year, I was like, okay, the Tigers, you know, they're, they're looking kind of close. Everyone kind of agreed and uh, didn't uh, play out that way. So, <laughs> uh, any 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 takeaways from having to examine the Tigers from this broad sense, which you don't normally get to do because you're so, like, you know, in the yeah. weeds with everything. Um, I know me reading it, I was like, yeah, it's, it's a while away. It's pretty <laughs> depressing for the Tigers. They went from we were all the most optimistic about their future, you know, uh, among the Detroit sports teams, and now they're probably back at the bottom. I will say, since we started doing these, all four franchises are in, like, better shape, better leadership. Yeah. Um, still none of them are actually successful. The Lions got the Lions went from, I think, fourth on the list last year to number one, uh, which is really great for the city. And, you know, again, I'm not booking my Lions Super Bowl t- trip just yet, but, you know, they've shown some progress. They've won some games. That's great. These other teams are all still pretty bad, but uh, the Pistons might just tank their way to the top here. Yeah. You know, Red Wings are showing some progress. The, the Tigers are the one team that's like a massive step backward. Um, so it was kind of depressing. That's all. Well, when you when you <laughs> when you when they ask the question about like the patience that the fans have, that was another one where it just like you know for like 
this rebuild continuing and I think James, he wasn't talking about the Tigers, but he was talking about the Pistons, but it definitely applies to the Tigers. He's talking about Troy Weaver, and he's like, you know, it's not Troy Weaver's fault that Stan Van Gundy, like, ran this team into the ground trying to scratch and claw for the 7-8 seed, Um, but he's got to take on the mess, and that definitely applies to Scott Harris. Like, it's not his fault that Al's vision collapsed. And he's got to try to build it up. You know what I mean? So I hope podcasts like this one, articles uh, that you write, at least contextualize this stuff for people where we're not trying to sell anybody anything, uh, a bill of goods or anything. But you have to try to keep in mind that leadership is, at least on paper, better. And you have to kind of have faith that these guys are going to be able guys and girls are going to be able to pull it together so uh good for the good for the lions i think the red wings are in the right direction i think the pistons like they wouldn't be tanking this year if k didn't get hurt uh they would probably just be just short of the play-in um but like you get women yama you know that accelerates everything pretty fine and and baseball is a funny sport too it's a funny sport you never know uh I'm just very eager to see some of these guys, like, you know, play, follow them in Toledo or, you know, get their major league shot. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, you know, the health, uh, the rehab of Scooble and Mize. Um, there are reasons to be, I don't want to say optimistic, but there are reasons to say, like, things could work out. Whereas uh, the Tigers, the, unfortunately, the, the, have been barren. The flip for a long from time. Lions and Tigers over the past year is a reminder that. Sports are very fluid, you know. Could the Tigers regain their momentum? They definitely could. I'm not super optimistic about the 2023 Tigers right now, but uh, could they return to, like, their 2021 state where things are on the upswing? They definitely could. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more as uh, spring train fast approaches. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten your uh, Lakeland date. Uh, when booked, you take a boat baby. over there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm staying right on the water. It's beautiful. <laughs> so, so booked your booked your spring training trip, and uh, yeah, I mean this this fast approaching. I don't anticipate having any more gaps in the podcast for a while. So we appreciate people sticking with us and uh, meeting us in bars, tweeting yeah, at us. You see us out and about. Come, don't don't hesitate to come say hi for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's, I'll say this, there's a very good chance I'll be, uh, I'll be in Detroit, uh, come, come April. So, uh, it's not booked yet. So, you know, everything's in theory until it's actually happening, but that is the intention. More details probably to come from that. Cause I'd love to mingle and meet as many people as, as I can. So, um, you can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at turn corner pod. Apple, Spotify, subscribe, rate, review, subscribe to The Athletic so you can get all this great content, including from our good friend of the podcast, Keith Law, and his and go. his just direct writing. I loved every uh, every second reading that. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing